I'm Dee Mae Roberts, stage and studio. We're listening to music brought from Laos by Samson Siarath, my guest today. Samson and I met on stage and studio in 2013, and we came to be close friends and artistic partners through the last seven years. But I haven't interviewed him again till now. So it's my pleasure to bring back theater artist and friend Samson Siarath to Stage and Studio. Welcome back, Samson. It's been a while. Thank you so much, Dime. Wow, I, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, yeah, I can't believe it's been that long, but it has. You were in Wild Tales at Shaking the Tree Theater, and Samantha Vandermerva was going to be my guest, but then I saw that you were in the f- promotional photos, and I went, oh, there's an Asian. and so I asked her to invite you and yeah so it was really great to meet you at that time I had to you know scout (laughs) for Asian American actors especially so I want to talk to you more about that but let's backtrack a little bit Uh, you actually came to Portland from Arkansas in 2011, and you were studying at Actors Conservatory Theater with Beth Harper, where you eventually became staff there for a few years. So I'm, I'm curious, like, what was your motivation to come to Actors Conservatory and, and to live in Portland? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting looking back on my journey, because I remember one small detail that really changed my life was meeting Beth Harper. I met her in Chicago at the University Residency Theater auditions. And when I met her, I, I realized that there's just such a, a huge world outside of Arkansas. And I, I knew I wanted to travel. I wanted to get out of the small town life. And I had imagined Portland being a stepping stone to a bigger city like New York or L.A., but I, I just loved the city so much. There was just a vibrant theater community, and it, was, it seemed welcoming to me at first glance. And so when I started studying at the Portland Actors Conservatory, one of my first professional acting gigs was Shaking the Tree, Wild Tales. And it's so funny because I remember leaving my callback. I, I thought that I, I wasn't going to make it, and my phone had died on the way home. And as soon as I charged it up, I had a voicemail from Samantha and she offered me the role. And little did I know that it would lead me to meeting you. And boy, that it it truly changed my life, Dime. Oh, Samson. <laughs> I'm gonna get teary here. Well, listen, you know, it changed my life too. And uh I wanna talk more about how that happened, but you grew up in Arkansas, and I'm just wondering, there really wasn't a lot of um, of a, a Lao American community there, was there? Because I grew up in rural Oregon, so I kind of kind of feel that from you. Yeah, there. It didn't feel like much, but my family was there, so I sort of had my little Lao bubble. Um, my my whole family lived on my block, like I could walk to any of my cousins' houses, and. We all went to the same school, but I think when you do live in an area with very little Asian American population, you do find those connections and they, they are strong connections. You kind of stick together because you have such a, you just need to build your own community. Did you feel like you had family support for your desire to be a working theater artist? Actually, I didn't tell my parents 
until they came to see my show in college. And I, you know, your parents are always wanting you to be a doctor or a lawyer. And I wasn't going to make any money as a theater artist. And so um, I, I took the chance and I invited him to one of my shows. And I will never forget it. After the show, my dad told me this during the show, there was a little boy watching and he was like, wow, it's something that I did. And my mom turned to him and said, that's my son. That's my son. And that brought me so much joy that she actually supported my decision to be an artist. That's so beautiful. That's so great. The first show that my parents came to was The Tempest at a community college that I was in, had a good theater program. And I remember coming down the aisle. I was one of the goddesses. It's just a small part, but, you know, I came down the aisle through the audience and I heard my mom and dad arguing. They were like, that's your daughter. No, it's not. (laughs) That's not her. (laughs) And so, so I kind of feel that, you know, that, that joy, but also like they were kind of embarrassing to me, but. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, it's always, yeah, it's something that you. I think especially as an Asian kid, you just, you really want to make your parents proud. And that's, that's always something that I, was, I strive for. Well, yeah. And, you know, we can't all be doctors and lawyers after all. So when you started uh, thinking about writing your story, I often think that a lot of actors of color have to write their own stories because often those roles just aren't there for them. And so as a Lao American, I'm so glad you started writing. And you actually went back to Laos and uh, not back. You never actually been there because you were born here in America. But you went to Laos and and, uh, you were kind of doing research about your culture, you know, heritage, but also for a solo show. Can you tell us about those experiences? Yeah, growing up, I never made the trip back with my parents or my family. I've always been jealous of my cousins and every time they went to Laos and they brought back some souvenirs, t-shirts and clothing and things like that. And so it's, it's interesting because growing up in Arkansas, I never wanted to be Laotian. I never wanted to be Asian. I wanted to be white. I wanted to fit in. But the, the more I grew up, the more I realized that there's so much more. It's, it's a vibrant culture and I wanted to reconnect with it. And that's, that's the main drive that I had to go back to Laos. And so when I did go back, it was for a project that I wanted to adapt The Tempest by Shakespeare. And I, I was very intrigued by the character Caliban because I feel like his story is just the tip of the iceberg in that show because he, he had a whole life. He had his mother. He was on this island before all these colonizers came and took over. And so I wanted to, to dive into that. But I think there were, there were things that I learned while I was there that really took me to another place. Um, there were things of the, the history of Laos and the United States specifically were just shocking to me. And it was even more shocking that I, as an, a Laotian American, didn't know about. I felt that that story had to be told. And so that's why I wrote my one-man show about my journey and learning about how Laos is the most heavily bombed country in the world per capita, and it's because of the United States dropping all the bombs during the Vietnam War. And so I think education is really important. I think history is really important. And so 
bringing those elements to art is is important to me. You also wrote a piece about coming out to your mom. That was a hard one for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, coming out to my mother was very hard. I remember back in Arkansas, I was in a car driving into town and my dad had asked me if I was gay. And, you know, I'm, I'm in a car. I can't really, like, leave or um, change the subject or anything. So I, I, I just said, I don't know. And I remember my mom, there's, there was silence. And then my mom said, if I see you kissing another man, I'll shoot you myself. And from then on, our, our relationship kind of just fell apart. And I, I didn't talk to her much. And I was about to go out to college when um, she finally came around and we started communicating. And I realized that she was just worried. She was scared for me. And she wanted to push me in a certain direction that didn't align with my values, my beliefs. And we've since come together and really talked about it. And I think telling that story is really important too, because there are people out there that are afraid to come out. Or there, most importantly, there are parents out there that don't understand this issue. And they're still scared. They're afraid of it. And so really helping people see the side of the story helps the communication going and really helps um, alleviate some of the pain that can happen. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That's not, you know, that it's not easy to go through these experiences, but also to talk about them in this kind of public way is, uh, is pretty monumental. Were you able to, you, you filmed that piece and I'm, I'm wondering, were you able to share that with your mom? I haven't yet. It's kind of, it's so personal. And then the fact that it is public now, but yet, I don't know, there's still a fear of like, it really only skims the surface. And there's, there's so much more to the story that I think if I were to share it with her, it would open up sort of the wound again. And you'd have to deal with the repercussions from that. Yeah, I think uh, personal pieces are so difficult when the family member, you know, is still around and you're still, you know, you're, you're, you're afraid of rejection. You know, you're afraid that they won't understand. And there's also in, in a lot, especially immigrant and refugee communities, that sense of airing dirty laundry, you know, that yeah. anything that's private shouldn't be talked about in public, which is hard when you're an artist. Yeah. And, you know, that's not great for your mental health. As an like, I, I've grown up so much just keeping things in that I didn't realize that letting it out was a thing. And so I think that's just like multiplied my stress so much exponentially that now that I'm finally letting things out, it's a, it's a whole nother thing to get used to. I, I'm just curious, what was the spark or the experience that you had that said you have to be an actor and a dancer and a performing artist? What was it that, you know, sparked you? Yeah, I remember in Arkansas, back in college, we had produced this show called Corrigenda, and it was an original device piece, and it sort of analyzed the way that society creates these rules and the, the laws and the police are kind of to uphold these rules that nobody really analyzes. And 
after the show, I came out into the lobby and there was this woman who came up to me and she grabbed my hand and the stranger came up to me and she said, after seeing that, I will never think the same way. And as, you know, as a college student, I, I didn't realize that, you know, just going up on stage and performing could really change anyone. And the idea that you could touch someone's life, help them gain this empathy that they didn't have before, I thought that was just the most beautiful feeling in the world. And I thought, if I can do this for the rest of my life, this is, this is what I want to do. Like, this is my dream. And yeah, that kind of set me on the path of like, oh, yeah, I'm going to change my major right now. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> and so you did. And so you did. You're listening to Stage and Studio. I'm Dime Roberts with theater artist Samson Sierroth. And he's also the artistic director of Theater Diaspora. And we're going to talk more about that soon. You can hear this show later today at stageandstudio.org. Now, Samson, we started talking about this, but I'm taking you back again to 2013 when I first met you on stage and studio with, uh, with Samantha Vandermerva for Wild Tales, which I love that production, by the way. But since that time, you know, you have become, you know, one of, I think, Portland's most prolific actors, a director and a theater producer. And I'm wondering since 2013, you know, since you were working, or even 2011, since you came here with Actors Conservatory, how have you seen the Portland scene change? I think the eyes of Portland theater goers and artists have really opened up. Um, I think... At first, there was work being done without much thought into it. I think people are taking more care with the work that they're doing now, especially in regards to the equity lens. It was a process, for sure. I think people started doing plays for people of color as just like a one-off thing. And they weren't really looking into how important representation was, how important authenticity was. And so I think that's a huge growth that the theater community here has had. Well, you know, and part of that, um, at the time that we met, actually a year later in 2014, we did a staged reading of a David Henry Wong play, Dance on the Railroad, that would lead to theater diaspora. I don't think we were thinking about starting a theater company, but there was a need, you know, for Asian American representation. And now... You know, largely through your your efforts, Theater Diaspora is a 501c3, and you are the artistic director. And I'm just so happy about that. You know, my organization, Meteorites, was able to, you know, sort of get it going as a project, but you have taken it and you're running with it. Although I have to say this, you know, we, we both know that this is the worst time to start a theater company. However, what are, you know... What, you know, what are your goals? You know, what I, we've never really talked about your sort of long-term or short-term goals for Theater Diaspora. Yeah, I think when we started doing these stage readings, it was because there weren't any roles for Asian Americans. Like when I came to Portland, there were no roles for us. And when I asked them, why aren't there Asian American roles? They would say, well, there are no Asian American actors. And so it's kind of this double-edged sword of like, why would we stay if there? there aren't any roles for us if we're not wanted here. 
And this was back when, you know, when a, a ethnicity wasn't written into a role, people automatically assumed it was a, a white role because that was like the neutral. But I think things have changed now, but we also are seeing a lot more calls for artists of color, which I think is much needed. Well, yeah. I mean, at that time also, you know, we have to remember that Yellowface was happening, you know, where uh, white actors were, it was okay to put Asian makeup on and Asian costumes and even, you know, change a specific role that was supposed to be Asian into a white role, you know? Right. Like you were saying, if they weren't specifically saying, oh, I'm from Asia (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And then there are other roles that like are specifically Asian, but they're only there as like caricatures or stereotypes. And, you know, I don't want to be confined to that. That's not what I want to put out into the world of what who I am. So what would you like to see happen with Theater Diaspora? Well, I'd love to have full productions. I would love more co-productions. I feel in Portland, there's so many different theater companies. There are hundreds of theater companies in Portland. And I don't understand why we don't collaborate more. We think about no one knows everything, but together we know a lot. So why not come together and produce more meaningful, more vibrant, more educated work? And so I would love to have more collaborations with the theater companies. But yeah, definitely... I also want Theater Diaspora to partner more with community organizations, not just theater companies. We tend to have our own little artistic bubble, but the work that we do really brings together community. And I would love to see more engagement in the Asian American Pacific Islander community. I agree with that. And, you know, you've also been involved with equity, inclusion, and diversity, EDI, issues. You're the committee chair of EDI at Portland Area Theater Alliance, and and now you're working with the Accountability Collective. Would you talk about, I guess, the kind of work that's being done or the, the kind of issues that are being discussed right now? Yeah, absolutely. Right now at the Portland Area Theater Alliance, also known as PADA, we are working on finding equity training not only for the board, but also for its members and its organization organizational members. We're wanting to find how equity translates to our mission statement of providing these resources for artists in the Portland theater community. I, I'm specifically working on opening up so that the gatekeepers are not just privileged cis white men, because when we think of boards, that's what we think of. And so how do our specifications for board members, our requirements, how can we open that up? And something that I find really interesting is we have community committee members, which are sort of a a subcommittee, but you don't have to like make a certain amount of money. You don't have to donate. You don't have to meet at a certain time where everyone else is working a nine to five job. So I think that is a, a huge improvement. And then working with those voices that are usually kept out of the room, I think bringing those in and having them make the huge decisions is going to help the community a lot. Well, 
I I applaud your efforts, and I and I know that you working on these will have a lasting impact, you know, for years to come. So keep doing the work that you're doing, and keep being the voice that brings up these issues, because I know that's not easy to do. I just feel like it's fitting that you're here today, because this is my last new show on KBOO. So it feel like I'm coming full circle. You know, I met you here and I'm leaving with you here. After 23 years, Stage and Studio is moving to Artswatch. And I've interviewed more than a thousand people through the years on this show, most of it live. And it's been a great way to offer arts coverage when it wasn't around at the time. And I still believe in KBOO's mission to provide access to local community and to train people to learn skills. And uh, you might be hearing some encore shows and hopefully some special programs I'm going to be producing because I'm moving to to collaborate with Artswatch, which is artswatch.org, and you can check that out in the in the next month. And but I'll always have a soft spot for KBU, and uh, I hope that we can continue collaborating in the future. Samson, I just wanted to play something for you. There are so many wonderful moments. I I couldn't like edit them all together, but I've had the opportunity to meet people like you, to make friends with, and also to just, you know, have just really great conversations with talented artists. And this has been a joy to the people, you know, that's what's been the joy. And so I wanted to play something that from my archives that shows sort of the brilliance of live radio where magic can happen. But before we do that, Sam said, as a teaser, would you do your impression of George Decay? You knew I was going to ask. I knew I was going to, yeah, I knew that. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) One more time, one more time. Oh, my. That's that's a hit right there. I love using that deep voice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I'm going to play a little clip. When I was talking with Nichelle Nichols, who played L- Lieutenant Uhura in Star Trek, and and through the magic of Kboo Studio, we were able to be joined by George Decay. Now, Nichelle was actually talking about something very deep. She was describing um, how she considered quitting Star Trek, but Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. objected. So I'm going to play this clip. And I turned around and into the face of Dr. Martin Luther King, and I was, of course, speechless. And he said such wonderful things about the show and about my work on it and the manner in which I established this character, how proud he was of me. And I said, thank you so much. I'm going to miss the show. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I'm leaving after the first season. So he said, no, you cannot leave. And I was stunned, as you can imagine. I I said, I don't understand. And he said, don't you see, for the first time, we are seen as we should be seen, as equals, with intelligence and beauty and what we are accomplishing and what we are capable of. And you personify that for the first time on television. The world will see us now as we should be. And in the meantime, you know, we were... um, Dr. King was marching as it was in the middle of the civil rights uh, battle, and I I said, I'm just one person. And he said, no, you are millions of people because you are touching millions of people at one moment in time. And when they see you, they see the dream that I'm working for. That's amazing. Could not believe it. Uh, He said... You're, uh, Star Trek is the only show my wife Coretta and I allow our little children <laughs> to stay up and look at. What a compliment. 
Well, you're listening to Stage and Studio. I'm DMA Roberts interviewing Nichelle Nichols of Star Trek. Up next, we have George Decay. And so I just, uh, I'm sure he's listening, saying hi, sort of. Our technology isn't that advanced to be able for you to talk yes, together. Please extend my <laughs> warmest regards to him because I love him very much. Uh, oh, I'm told that you, they, you could talk to him. Oh, indeed. Really? You want to try it? I can try it, yeah. All right, let's try it. All right. Hi, George. This is Dime Roberts on KBU Radio. Are you there? Hello. How are you? Good. Hi, George Tatey, my darling love. How, how's it going? <laughs> I think it's wonderful. You two are talking. You know who you're talking to? No. Nichelle, Nichelle Nichols. <laughs> oh, well, what do you know? Hello, my dear. How, how are you? <laughs> Hi, George. Good to hear your voice. And yours too, my darling. Oh, it's so wonderful. We have a great Star Trek moment here. I love this. Well, we're saying goodbye <laughs> to Nichelle, but she wanted to say goodbye to you first. Well, I'm, I wanted to say hello. What did you talk about? <laughs> and I'm looking, I'm so looking forward to seeing you on the A to George, if not before. <laughs> oh, you're looking forward to seeing what? Seeing you. <laughs> oh. We talked about the convention that you're going to both be at on September oh, in 8th in Seattle. I just came from one in uh, Toronto this weekend. Well, yes, just I, got I, back I yesterday. I know that you were there. I w- they were asked me to come, and I was had a conflicting engagement. I was doing a film. You guys just go ahead and talk amongst <laughs> I was, yourselves. I was doing, I'm starring in a film called Lady Magdalene. Lady Magdalene. Yes, I'll tell you all about it when I, I see I'm you. all ears. I think okay, that, darling. Well, thanks so much, Nichelle. It was a complete pleasure talking with you. Well, I had a wonderful interview with you, Demay, and, and I look forward to meeting you in person. Bye for You now. take care. Bye-bye. Well, hey, George, I was going to do a music break, but since you're here, let's yes. go ahead and talk. How uh, are you? Let's talk. How are you? Just great. Oh, my. That was Boy, sick. I love his voice. It's so booming. <laughs> <laughs> you sound just like him. Yeah, that was George Takei, Nichelle Nichols of Star Trek on the airwaves of KB Radio some time ago. It was more than 10 years ago, I think. Thank you for for um, going through memory lane with me on this, Samson. Oh, and it's been great to talk with you. Samson Sierroth, Artistic Director of Theater Diaspora. Thanks for coming on the last day of this show on KBU. And uh, it's wonderful to know you and to work with you. <laughs> Thank you. Likewise, Dimei. That's it for Stage and Studio. I'll have this show online later today at stageandstudio.org, as well as on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and also KBU. Also, like us on Facebook.com slash stage, the letter, and studio. Thank you all for listening to my arts interviews through the last 23 years. I hope you'll join me at artswatch.org or stageandstudio.org. Till the very, very next time, I'm Dime Roberts. We're going to go out with, uh, with a song called Stick On Me by Joe Kai, and that's at joekai.com. Bye, everyone. Yes, so I have been with you But I know not where we go No, I am no longer scared But I find that I'm reaching for